Hi there, I'm Evan Troxell. Welcome to my podcast about how technology is changing the architectural profession. Hey everybody, it's great to be back in front of the microphone. This is the Troxel Podcast, and I'm your host, Evan Troxel. In this episode, Anthony Frausto Robledo of Architosh once again joins the podcast. To wrap up this mini-series of sorts, we basically recorded two episodes, one pre-Apple event and one post-Apple event. In which event am I speaking of? Well, of course, it was Apple's One More Thing event. If you listened to the last episode, basically we did some predictions about what we thought Apple might release. And I have to say, I was pretty wrong. I was way more hopeful. (laughs) But I do think that what they did announce makes a lot of sense. So we get into that in this episode. We talk about what they actually did announce and what the implications of these new technologies, hardware and software both, have for architects and practice. There's also some additional topics around Industry 4.0 and convergence. So Lots of really great stuff. And again, thank you for playing along as we go down this Apple rabbit hole for a couple of episodes. We'll get back to our more regularly scheduled programming next week. I have a very exciting guest for you all in that conversation. So I'm not going to tell you who it is. I want you to subscribe. I want you to get these episodes delivered to you. Hope to keep all of that momentum going. One more piece of business that I wanted to let everybody know was that this week, if you are listening to the show live, anytime during or near the release of this episode, which comes out on November 16th, on the Thursday of this week, November 19th, at 4.15 Pacific Time, I'm joining forces with another podcast, the Life of an Architect podcast, and my other podcast, the Speak podcast. All of us are going to be hosting a live stream event on my YouTube channel, So I will have a link to that in the show notes so that you can go over there and participate with us live. We would love to have you at this kind of architectural extravaganza happy hour with Bob Borson and Andrew Hawkins of the Life of an Architect podcast and Cormac Phelan and myself of the Archispeak podcast and obviously me from this podcast that you're listening to now. If you don't happen to catch the event live, which again, I really hope you do, because we'll have live chat set up and you can ask questions or provide snide comments. We would love that. Just grab a beverage, show up at 4.15 p.m. Pacific time this Thursday. Again, if you don't happen to catch the event live, it will be recorded and you will be able to watch it later. But that's not as fun, obviously. Uh, So a little relief in this end of 2020 time period. I hope you can all appreciate that. I know I need it. So anyway, I'm really looking forward to that event, and I hope that you will be there as well. Click the link in the show notes or head over to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash etroxel, and you will see that show up, and you can click the little notification button to remind yourself that it's coming. All right, so enough with the business side of things. Let's get back to this episode. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Anthony Frosto Robledo of Architosh.com. Anthony, welcome back. Let's do this again. The 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 fast follow up on Apple's latest one more thing event, which was really fun. Yeah, it was uh, great to see it all. Definitely, really a lot of fun. 
Yeah, and I think like for them to pack it, all of that into 45 minutes is pretty incredible. Like I think that's one of the benefits to doing it this way versus a, a traditional keynote that Apple has always kind of stretched out to two hours or so. And mm-hmm. uh, now they're they're making these more often and they're a little bit shorter, a little more digestible and focused on product types rather than kind of trying to run the gamut. Yeah, definitely. And I, I actually think they're going to do more of these because they're, they're impressive. Yeah. And, um, they, they save everyone a lot of time, actually, you know, <laughs> they do. it's hard to watch the stuff in the middle of your work day as it is. So it's, yeah. it's nice. Well, and imagine just, uh, before like filling theaters with people flying them all around the world to get there so that they can right. be there in person that's not happening. Right. So you're right. It is saving people a lot of time. Yeah, definitely a lot of time. So, yeah. so let's, let's start off with kind of the overall theme again, one more thing. So Tim kind of started it off and said, you know, here's everything we've done this year so far, mm-hmm. but we really have one more thing. And, and so where a traditional keynote would have ended with this and they would have packed, you know, something really surprising in, they really did save kind of the biggest surprise mm-hmm. and event unto its own for the mm-hmm. end of the year. And this, it was, in, it was just really well, well produced, well done. I thought. I definitely agree. And it was, um, I mean, I, I think it lived up to that, to the saying Steve Jobs famous yeah. saying, uh, I, I was definitely deeply impressed though. There are some issues as I've peered into the, into the new M1 systems. Um, okay. there, are, there are minor issues that I think are going to really nag people like you and me, but, uh, so it'll be fun to talk about that. Yeah. I, I think, uh, the other thing that's always impressive to me about Apple is that they use this as a platform to kind of celebrate their users, um, mm-hmm. instead of just purely using it as a vehicle to launch products. You know, I think this is something that good companies do well, which is inspire people to kind of go big. Right. And, and so like one of the quotes I, Tim said in the in the beginning, he said, all around the world, people use the Mac to do remarkable things. Like the Mac itself, they challenge the status quo, they take chances, they create, they innovate, and they use the Mac to help change the world, and we'd like to celebrate them. And I love that kind of stuff because it just gets your blood flowing. Like it's, it's inspirational yeah. words, and then they back it up, and they've got this great kind of provocative black and white. Uh, short films that they put together and people are doing incredible stuff in it. And, and it makes you want to like, that's what I want to do with my computer. Right. And I, I think that that kind of, I will get into this in a little bit, but like they, Apple kind of shies away from actual specifications. Like they, I don't think they mentioned megahertz or gigahertz once during this. No, they didn't. But I think real creatives are just like, I just need a tool that does the thing that I want to do as fast as possible or, or as fluidly as possible or as seamlessly as possible. And and when you see people actually doing that, like, like they're in the flow, they're 100% in. And I think that's that's why they can get away with that is, is they really make it about being creative. Yeah, I completely agree. It always gets uh, my creative juices flowing whenever I see one of these presentations and they do such an awesome job of like inspiring you to just do something amazing on your computer yeah, uh, or your, your iPhone. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely came away from this event thinking, what should I do next with my free time? <laughs> you know, what, should I, <laughs> what should I pursue? Um, cause there's so much out there to pursue, right? It's just, it, we're just 
all so time poor, I think these days, especially yeah. guys like you and me. So, yeah. um, but, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a great event. And, um, I think one of the things that they do so well now, uh, is they know how to talk about technology that excites the public mm-hmm. without getting into geek speak. Mm-hmm. And while you and I might want to geek out on megahertz and gigahertz and stuff like that, you're right. Artists, they just want to see what's cool about the new technology and they right. want to know how much better it is. So they just throw up these big numbers like three X and six X and five X. And, you know, those are, those are some really mighty numbers and they're not telling you exactly. I mean, they are, and they are, are not telling you exactly what they're referring to. So you kind of need, you know, for, for, for you and me, we want to dig into this a little bit to see, well, what else are they saying, but not saying, or, yeah. You know, and, and there there are some significant things, but I think at the end of the day, these machines are killer mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> killer is the right word, too, because they are. Yeah, I yeah. think they're going to take a huge chunk out of the market with these laptops. Yeah. Um, the prices didn't go up. They're delivering so much more uh, processing power per watt. Um, yeah, yeah. Just the length of time you could watch. I think what was the it was the new. Um, 13 inch MacBook Pro, you can see, you can watch a video for like 17 straight hours or 18 straight hours, something crazy like that, right? That is so I'm thinking, hmm, that's interesting. So on the longest flight I've ever been on in my life, like you won't have to plug in. I could not even have the thing plugged in the entire time and watch, you know, 50 movies in a row or something like that. Yeah, I like how one of the guys in the in one of the videos said, he goes, This thing has more battery life than I'm awake during the day. Right. I know. I, heard, I, I thought that was excellent. <laughs> Great quote. <laughs> it's I, so true. Yeah. Well, how many times do we are we're, we're actually traveling and we need to get work done and we're between the hotel and the airport and our flight and you're walking around the airport fi- trying to find a plug mm-hmm. because you need to send that email or you need to look at a document and you're finding the plugs and they're all plugging with other people. Like yep. there's not enough plugs in the airport. Never, it's yeah. so frustrating. Yeah. And I run into that situation all the time uh, when I'm traveling, especially for my architectural work. So yeah, the, those are dreamy hours. I mean, 17, eight, even 20 is, a, is a magical amount of hours. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about this. So they, they basically talked about kind of that they're developing a family of chips, but today they were showing off the first one and they named it the M1 right so uh their their very first mac system on a chip that they've developed with apple silicon and basically i think what makes this one different at the high level versus kind of the standard fare that's out there right now that's in my 16 inch macbook pro as i'm talking through it to you is this is all on one chip and they're combining cpu memory io security and gpu all into this kind of one unit that Therefore, I mean, it allows it to go small, right? We've seen it in our phones and we've seen it in our iPads for years now, but now that's what's in the Mac. Um, and what, I think he said 16 billion transistors. Like they're right. incredibly, incredibly sophisticated and small. Mm-hmm. And and their goal is to make all of these technologies best in class is what he said. So when you are when you mentioned a minute ago, 3X, 5X, like... That's actually real world numbers that I think most people can actually relate to because they're yeah. relating them to what they have now instead of megahertz and gigahertz, which for the most part are pretty lame ways to measure speed anymore because they are right. not 
they they don't they're not apples to apples like we talked about on the previous episode with Revit being single threaded and we have other apps that are multi-threaded all of a sudden you really can't compare speeds of hardware to each other because applications are using these differently there's throttling going on there's mm-hmm. battery power versus plugged in there's desktop versus laptop there's so much like differentiation in there that mm-hmm. it's really hard to kind of understand for anybody who doesn't get into the nerdy nerdy numbers um what what those numbers actually mean so i think like 3x versus the previous model i mean that's incredible those are incredible gains and i think most people can just feel that when they use it and they kind of don't care what the number is anymore i agree yeah yeah and but you still have to parse the numbers in detail though so for example they have four uh, they have a total of eight cores yep but four are high efficiency cores Mm mm-hmm and for our high performance cores. So is it really sort of almost like having two different types of chips, the right. one that runs at, you know, 1.8 gigahertz and one that runs at up to 3.1 gigahertz mm-hmm. or three gigahertz. And if you're going to throw, I think I saw cinema 4d in one of the yeah. pro images and pro apps that went through their little lineup of really quick lineup of a lot of apps that are coming to uh, the new platform, you know, cinema 40 will, will, you can throw as many cores as it at it, you know, and it will, yeah. it will enjoy that and you yes. can get your work done faster. Yeah. So how does that work exactly when you have four that run faster than the other four? Yeah. Like, that's a question I'd like to know. Is it, am I really just, is the, is the rendering stream really just going to target the four high end cores then and leave the slower ones alone or will it get some of the rendering work done on the slow cores too? You know, that's an interesting question. Yeah. But regardless of those details and and all of this will come out as people start playing with these new machines, you know, when they throw numbers up like 3.9 X faster video processing, yeah, pros can look at that and go, that's very similar to doing a rendering. You know, that's similar to doing that's exactly what processing my my uh, compiling code. That's similar to yep. a lot of scientific apps processing. So you see these simple multiples and you go, wow, that's a big that I can, I'm going to get my work done faster. I'm going to go home earlier. And that that's and when you see the, the price points the same, that really gets you excited. That definitely yeah. gets me excited. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, again, like we touched on it in the last episode when we were kind of trying to predict what they were going to announce, but talking about where the the history that we come from, where I would set off a rendering in Form Z and it would take 18 hours. So if you're talking three times, five times faster nowadays, like back then, that would be an incredible time savings. Mm-hmm. And and it basically is, is what they're saying now is like almost all of this stuff is happening in real time. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're talking about a five times increase in productivity because of that you're not waiting for the computer to do that thing as long that's that's huge and i start to think like okay high efficiency versus performance cores or you know they said high efficiency cores are one tenth of the power so Mm -hmm. for your day-to-day stuff your email you know there's Mm going to be text editing and to do's and all of that kind of stuff you're using these high efficiency cores which are saving you battery right this is still Mm -hmm. like very much optimized for battery power Right. Before when, you know, back in the day, we used to send something to render. We couldn't do anything else on the computer. It sucked everything up. And so now I think what they're saying is like, we're saving some of that for you to do other stuff because we know you can't 
really take the time to go off and just let the computer sit unless it's overnight. If you want to get work mm-hmm. done while the computer is doing this other really intensive thing, you can because we're saving some margin for you to do mm-hmm. that. And by kind of segmenting these chips into different buckets for optimized tasks, that's actually more useful, I think, over time. It may not be more useful right when you need it, when you say, no, I want all eight cores. But over time, it actually is going to save you time. It's just hard to kind of think about it that way. Yeah, no, I mean, these new chips are kind of like a hybrid car. Yeah. You know, the ones that go in electric mode and then gas mode and back and forth. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're balancing. It's a balancing act between all of these different kinds of activities yeah. you do. But, but speaking of like rendering overnights, what, what did you think about, you know, were you surprised to see the Mac mini be one of these machines? And I was, uh, yeah. I mean, a desktop it, computer. It's, it's such an awesome little machine when you think about a render farm. Yeah. Right. And they yeah. even mentioned a render farm. Yeah. And putting up these big GPU and CPU improvements, I mean, you could build one killer little render farm now. With oh, a my bunch gosh. Of those. Yeah. And they dropped the price, too, right? So, yeah. like, I've got a 2012 Mac Mini sitting in the other room because that was, right. like, the last great Mac Mini before this <laughs> latest set. Uh, <laughs> right. Everybody kind of coveted the 2012 Mac Mini. And that's what I replaced that old quad-core Intel I was talking to you about last time. I replaced yeah. it with a Mac Mini that blew it out of the water. and right. And so, yeah, you start to think about like what you can do in a little package, a headless package like that. And mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, one one of the concerns I saw with the Mac Mini was they they omitted the 10 gigabit Ethernet off of it, but that is possible through the Thunderbolt port. So if you're talking about a render farm, you don't need like I think they have two Thunderbolt ports. So you've got one for video if you need it, but in a render farm mm-hmm. you typically don't. And mm-hmm. then you've got that other port for ethernet because if you are doing network rendering right if you are mm-hmm. doing server farm type stuff you need fast transfer speeds onto the network right so it seems to me like that is potentially the answer for high speed networking right that i didn't notice that that's interesting so there's no ethernet on it i don't know that there's no ethernet i think uh, it's it's just not 10 gig instead it's i think it's one oh. gig you might we should do some fact checking real time fact checking here but um i i'm pretty sure that it has ethernet but just not 10 gigabit Right. Yeah. Well, I still think, yeah, I agree with you that speed is important, but once you send a big load over to a render farm and just let it run, I mean, if you're doing a big, you know, ginormous animation, that's, Mm -hmm. that's a great thing to have. And, um, I do quite a few animations now just in artificial practice with like tools like twin motion. Yeah. And I have, you know, pretty beefy iMac pro at work. And I love the machine. It's a great machine, but it was also $5,000. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you better love your machine when it's $5,000. <laughs> yes, you should. Um, you know, and, and uh, it, it turns out renderings uh, rather quickly in, in those tools like Twinmotion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still have to wait. I, if I, if I want to do a two minute rendering or something like that, and, you know, twin motion. I'm still going to wait. You know, maybe ten minutes. Um, especially if I crank up all the settings to the highest quality. Yeah. Um, it'd be great if you could have to wait at all, right? If you yeah. just say, "I don't need to take coffee break or bathroom break. I'm going to get my result now. And if I don't like it, I'm going to redo it. So I'll swing over here on this side of the building. Or, you know, that's the thing about speed is that you can never have enough of it when you're doing that kind of creative work because 
you're trying to make your presentations just right because you're trying to sell an idea to a client uh, or just to convince your boss that the design you have is the the right design. And um, so you can never have enough speed. Well, and meanwhile, architects everywhere are screaming that you keep taking away our opportunities for breaks because we already <laughs> spend more time than we need at the computer. <laughs> now there's no bathroom breaks. Now there's no coffee breaks. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah, it's true. But we all we all suffer in this in this in the architecture industry to some degree because yes. uh, from school on because we have to put in these long hours. Yeah. So I welcome speed. I'd rather have get the work done and yeah. take a legitimate coffee break for for the coffee. <laughs> right. So so some of the other stuff they talked about is no more at least in these models no more discrete GPU. Right. So this is something again yeah. we've seen on iOS uh, for a while now. And now in these smaller machines, at least, who knows what will happen in the future. I'm assuming that there's going to be uh, discrete GPUs at some point, maybe in that Mac Pro that's rumored that we we heard about because it does have mm. definitely like, uh, you know, PCIe kind of um, abilities mm. potentially. But uh, and, and right now, even in the big Mac Pro, right, with the, the uh, Afterburner card, things like that, they're definitely... I mean, that's what makes a pro, a Mac pro, a Mac pro, right? Is it's kind of modularity and the ability, depending right. on what your needs are to plug in something different. Um, but in these ones, uh, like up to eight core GPU, two times the performance at 10 Watts, which is pretty mm-hmm. incredible, right? I mean, and this is because the hardware and software are working together, right? They have got their metal right. APIs. Um, and as long as the application supports it, which, mm-hmm. you know, hand raised full transparency like most architecture apps are not on that right they're on the CUDA system with NVIDIA and so I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of where I see some big question marks as far as bringing this back to architecture is how is this going to fare in the apps that we're using that really are dependent on the the NVIDIA CUDA technologies right Uh, well it's a really good question how Apple's graphics is and with with its metal API will fare in, in long term competition against Nvidia, right? Mm-hmm. With its CUDA architecture, um, everyone raves about CUDA and how remarkable it is. But when you talk to some developers about uh, Apple's metal, th- that they'll boast if they've if they've really optimized their their applications for it, they'll talk about how remarkable it is. And it's even more remarkable as a development environment on some level because it has uh, a lot of the simplicity of programming for OpenGL, but with a lot of the benefits of programming for like Vulkan mm-hmm. or the, you know, the more bare metal um, optimization um, uh, graphics APIs. So you get um, kind of the best of both worlds. And I just don't know yet. I mean, I'm very curious to see where things shake out on some of the professional apps that I work with. Yeah, and how they'll how they'll fare. I know that they are re-architecting the Mac version of VectorWorks entirely for Metal, mm. and I imagine for ArchiCAD too. And so they're ripping out all the OpenGL. Not all of it will come out at first, but a lot of it will. Um, OpenGL is deprecated, but isn't gone. Yeah. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see um, how those those tools perform on these M1 processors. I can't maybe wait we'll to see that. Very much. Maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised, and yeah. we won't be missing CUDA. Or and yeah. if we're not missing CUDA, will we miss discrete graphics cards? Right. 
No, I think, you know, I've got, like I, I've mentioned, I've got this 16-inch MacBook Pro, and when I'm using something that's really GPU-intensive, mm-hmm. thi- like they say, you know, you can cook an egg on it. Right. <laughs> and and <laughs> it's intense, right? And so when you're right. talking about, I mean, they, I think they said it was one-third of the power uh, mm-hmm. with two times the performance. Like, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. When you look yeah. at that graph, to me, that's yeah. where the real kind of benefits are going to right. You know, you talked about a render farm, talk about the power requirements for a render farm, talk about savings over time and saving the environment and and doing this on one person's desk at a time cooler. And, you know, it Mm -hmm. it can sit on your lap while you're in the car and you Mm -hmm. can render stuff because it's cooler and you're not cooking your lap. I think like all of those things play a a part of it right They're They're not things that can be kind of ignored. Uh, That that is pretty incredible stuff. Mm hmm. I'm I'm excited about that development for sure. Now there are some, you know, as much as the M1 is impressive, there apparently are some um, limitations that are I think might frustrate pro users. And I've just been peeking into reading about some of them. It, these machines are all limited to 16 gigabytes of, of memory. Yeah, and I think for a lot of professional users, me included, I, I like I prefer a machine with 32. Yeah, at a minimum. I really need more than 32, but 32 allows you to basically run 20 applications almost and not really bump before you start bumping into some kind of limit or 15 applications before bumping into a limit. Which is kind of normal nowadays. I mean, yeah, it's normal. especially it's working from normal. home, it's it's totally normal to have a ton of right. stuff going. Yeah, exactly. And it, it makes you more fluid and agile to have all these apps just right there and and speaking of right there, one of the coolest things about these machines is that they have sort of the instant on of mm-hmm. iOS devices, mm-hmm. which is, I, I'm very excited about that. And it's very tempting to, you mentioned, um, you know, when you spoke two days ago, would we have things from the iOS world like Face ID? Mm-hmm. That would be fantastic. I sometimes get tired of typing in my password, especially because mm-hmm. I have you know a, a secure password of, small <laughs> number of the same passwords and i sometimes forget which machine i ha- have password on yeah. uh which password for that machine and they didn't introduce that you know right. they, they don't have anything like that right. or even like touch id like oh maybe the touch uh, maybe i take that back probably the mac pro with the touch bar which I don't recall them mentioning that either. Do you do you recall that? Did they put the touch bar on the new Mac Pro? They must have. On the I on the MacBook Pro? Yeah, MacBook yeah. Pro. Yep. It was there. Yeah, and it had touch ID and so does the MacBook Air. Okay, they both okay, yep. great. Yeah. Yep. That's great. Having fast access to your machine when you need it is great. Yep. Because these machines go to sleep and it's nice when they go to sleep because they also uh, if you leave them for a while, they also become more secure and private to you, right? They close down. So people in your world at work can just, you know, you have some privacy with your your machine and your email and all of the stuff. Right. Um, but getting going right back into work real quickly is always really nice. Yeah, I, I think that that instant on kind of reminds me of that old story of Steve Jobs walking into a meeting one day with, uh, you know, a, he came in with a laptop my I, macbook air or something and mm-hmm. and an ipad and says why can't this be start up as fast as this mm-hmm. and it was like nobody had an answer and it was just like shut he just shuts the laptop and walks out of the room it's something like that right it's like right. point made 
Uh, and man, how long has it been since he said that? And and it actually happened. And what did it take to get there? I mean, it wasn't going to happen mm-hmm. in traditional, you know, the the old school Mac OS. It just wasn't going to happen. And right. so so now you start to wonder: was it Mac OS or was it the hardware? Right. And obviously, it's a little bit of both. But it seems to me like it was more on the hardware side of things that they were constrained by these these other companies. Yeah, I definitely see that too. I think it was definitely mostly about the chip. Yeah. There's something about the ARM chips that allow that immediate um, ability to come right on. And maybe that has to do with the fact that they were designed to be chips and phones. Yeah. Interesting stuff. So the other thing that they've got integrated on this chip is the neural engine, right? And we did talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they're just talking about, and I think they showed it on each of the computers that they talked about how fast how much faster it can do machine learning kind of processing mm-hmm. uh, using, you know, apps like Pixelmator where turning up the resolution on a photo and automatically sharpening it and, you know, looking for edge detection, things that are machine learning is really good at. Um, right. So that's a, that could potentially be a, a big deal, uh, you know, during doing like any kind of ML on video processing or, um, content aware fill. I could see it being used for a lot of things that we would potentially use. Yeah. You know, I've been uh, personally lately, I've been exploring ancestry.com because my daughter got me one of those DNA kits oh, yeah. for last Christmas. So I've been making connections really far back to cousins. And these are like third cousins, but going back several generations to our common ancestor. And, you know, it's very common in families for photos to be passed down mm. line mm-hmm. and often they have good notes in the back of them and names but some of them don't and eventually the oral history that was shared in the photos gets lost and you no longer know exactly who people are so suddenly you're trying to figure out in this context of like ancestry.com you know who people are and you're sharing it with distant cousins and you're trying to figure out this stuff right so um I have a whole bunch of old photos and of people I do know, like great, great grandmothers and stuff like that. And of course, these photos were taken in the late uh, 19th century. Mm -hmm. Some of them aren't quite as sharp as I'd love them to be. Mm -hmm. And I think about these, this machine learning technology and what they can do to, to enhance the resolution on some of these images. It gets, it gets me very excited. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you, I thought you were going to go the direction of face recognition that story that's a great story though because with face yeah, recognition no, face, face recognition always makes me think of china and why i'm glad I, i'm an american but, but even on my phone like in the photos app and i can right. search for my son and it will show me my son over the last decade plus and how yeah, he's changed right. and how it still knows that it's him right like yeah that's like creepy kind of weird like that is machine learning though right because it's mm-hmm. it's looking for particular characteristics that it sees and because it is kind of relatively slow changing over time it right. can it can connect the dots um but but then you look back at like the whole catalog and you're like whoa that's creepy right that it knows <laughs> yeah 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 that's- yeah no that's creepy but like in my case uh to, you know i could i the same need to sharpen photos can be applied to to the work world and yeah. just today i was you know i was on a job site today up in vermont and we were trying to figure out the depth of a beam that was way up in the, in the, in the ceiling. So the contractor throws a tape all the way up there, but 
I mean, it's like 15 feet above his head. Uh-huh. And he's like, take a picture with your phone and try to zoom in. So zoom I do that. And I have the <laughs> iPhone 11 uh-huh. and I'm zooming in and I'm like, I can't make out the numbers on the tape. It's too blurry. So I zoom out and just to one to one, because we talked about this last time right. about, you know, these algorithms being applied to telephoto using software. So um, at one-to-one, I took the picture. And then when I zoomed in, I was able to kind of make it out much better. And But it's still not as sharp as I'd love it to be. And obviously, if you're trying to get real dimensions and be very precise, you, you want it to be very precise. Yeah. So I think these, uh, I'm excited about this machine learning because I think there's all kinds of practical applications. Yeah. Sharpening pictures and, and, you know, zooming in. There's an app out there, maybe it's called Pixelator or something like that. And they make that reference to uh well they make the reference to a sci-fi film where someone says uh you know zoom in to the left and then zoom in more and then more and of course there's that famous scene in blade runner when harrison ford's character is is doing that on a machine and it's zooming in and zooming in and moving around uh to, to a ridiculous degree and you're thinking i remember thinking back then i hope we have technology like that someday <laughs> That would be insane where you're looking at like a, a photo and a locklet, you know, a locket or something, you know, super micro um, from this great distance. And you could zoom into someone's face and figure it out. And it's yeah. great for crime fighting. It's great for <laughs> a lot of reasons. I, I I think that that whole there's like a super cut on YouTube of the zoom and enhance kind of trope that popular tv shows overuse it's right. pretty pretty hilarious um there a pro tip right now on your iphone just in case uh if you are using the one x camera which i think right. we use most of the time it will do the neural engine processing on those photos only if in the settings for the camera you have show photo outside of frame turned off mm. pro tip out there for all of you listeners because i used oh, to have great. that turned on because then you could see a little bit of the picture underneath the buttons on the screen. Um, yes, right. And I didn't realize I was getting no, uh, none of these extra enhancements by doing that. So you have to turn that off. It doesn't explicitly tell you that in the settings, but somehow you're just supposed to know. I don't know. Anyway. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that I, t- I take it that's the default then, and therefore I should turn it off. I can't remember if I, I think I turned that on. So I think, it, I think that this processing is on by default, but if you turn that setting on, it turns that off and nobody will nobody's the wiser which is unfortunate i think it would be nice if a little warning popped up or something that told you if you do this here's the outcome and and i will say like taking photos now with that setting turned off it's noticeably different in certain circumstances for sure like you really do notice the the neural engine's work at that point so you can get those That's super crisp images yeah yeah, that's great to know. Thanks for the tip. Yeah, so, okay, so what else do we have on there? We've got the, okay, so the, this goes back to something you talked about earlier, you, the unified memory architecture, right? So mm-hmm. um, you said, you know, the machine tops out at 16 gigs of RAM mm-hmm. or, or the, the system. Um, I don't expect that to be the case in the future with like the Mac Pros and maybe the larger MacBook Pros. I could see that. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me like their justification for that now is that, there's like this memory swap going on between memory in quotes and processor and like all the, the GPU, the CPU, the memory, it's kind of like, it seems like it's able to share. Do you have any, any additional things on any insight into that? Um, 
I agree with you that it's, I think we're going to, they're going to get past this. This is a limitation with the M1, Mm -hmm. but I don't think, I don't expect it to be a limitation with the M1 X or bionic or whatever they're, whatever they're going to call it, or if there's going to be an M2. Um, But uh, I, I think it's a die size thing. And I mean, they're jamming so many specialized units on this. I think the die size is estimated at 120 um, millimeters. Is it millimeters or micrometers? Or, um, I have no idea. Something ridiculously small. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't see that being an issue in the future either. I think uh, my thought when I heard about the limitation was that perhaps the unified memory architecture, which I don't really know much about, uh, in terms of its performance advantages, but there, I'm sure there's obvious an advantage there. I mean, everything is right there on the chip mm-hmm. where if your memory for your GPUs on your card and to get stuff over there, you have to travel through a bus. Yep. That's obviously an inferior way to go about it. So I think the chips just need to get larger in order, but it begs the question, what will they do with the, the, the iMac pro and the, and the, and the Mac pro because people want to stick, Yeah, you know, 156 gigabytes of memory or something like absurd like that. And those probe machines or whatever they hold. And, right. and um, how, how will they do that? Well, it, it doesn't seem probable that will all fit on a chip. So I, I could understand why they started with these machines and, and they need a lot more time to think about how they're going to translate this architecture, which was designed for mobile devices mm-hmm with much smaller memory needs and uh, just a simplified user case and apply it to machines like pro machines that have a huge diversity of user cases and diversity of requirements in terms of just technical requirements. I don't know what the answer is, but I think they will figure, I have confidence they will figure it out. Yeah. Um, the discrete card, you mentioned that, uh, earlier i i could see apple finding a way to have both uh, the option for yeah. discrete graphics but also the benefit of having integrated graphics um, because their integrated graphics seem to really haul ass so yeah. i think that could be the baseline for pro machines they don't have a discrete card but you can get one and put one in yeah yeah so you talked about the different use cases um let's talk a little bit about the apps that we saw running so uh, we did see some 3D, but we didn't see anything like architect specific, but we did see Shaper 3D, which you kind of alluded yeah. to, which was really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely like pro level CAD and that type of app on display with um, Cinema 4D, with Shaper 3D, um, obviously with the gaming stuff, lots of 3D, lots of rendering and effects and mm-hmm. things like that. But we also saw... The ones that I was thinking would be the low-hanging fruit, Final Cut Pro, six times faster rendering on the timeline, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. In these very small machines, like that—that yeah. that to me is where I, I think, like, I'm really excited to see how the 13-inch MacBook Pro stacks up against my current i9 16-inch MacBook Pro, and it's probably going to make right. me cry at the same time, right? But it's incredibly <laughs> exciting to see that much faster performance in a much smaller package and still be able to drive the large external display, uh, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You know, there was actually an architectural tool that was shown. I'm not talking about Shaper. I'll talk about Shaper in a second, but um, they did show Cinema 4D. I saw Cinema 4D in there. Yep. Yep. And which is exciting because 
a couple of reasons. One is that's a great tool in the ARC AAC space and uh, more people should probably try to use it. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, it is. I've used it quite heavily in the past years and it is a really fun program to use too. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. fun. It's definitely fun. And it's great to see them really, you know, those guys uh, love the Mac and they have a really interesting application architecture because it's sort of its own world. It has its own kind of UI, regardless if it's in Windows mm-hmm. or the Mac, it's sort of, it looks the same. Yeah. Um, and it's incredibly stable. Uh, it's a great tool, but I will um, say that that's exciting to see that on this de- in this demo because it'll be great with a tool like that that takes advantage of all the cores mm-hmm. to see how it actually performs with these four high performance cores and four you know efficient cores, mm-hmm. power efficient cores. Mm-hmm. See what the outcome is. I think that will be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the Shaper guys were there. You know, the part of the segment where everyone was just really happy uh, about <laughs> the testimonial know. segment. Yeah. Yeah. The happy testimonial segments. And they were just waxing over just how powerful it is. So yeah. the, the Shaper guys had promised me some stats. Uh, they wanted to wait. This came out um, to share them with me. And they have some stats to show how much faster their Shaper 3D tool is, and it has never been on the Mac before. It's actually an iOS tool that was built for the iPad Pro with the pencil specifically. Mm -hmm. It requires the pencils for input. So they were very excited. Uh, It was very interesting to hear what they said a little bit in the presentation that they've been kind of waiting for this day. Um, They never told me that before. But um, so I'm anxious to see the stats, see how they compare, how they compare. I hope they'll give me uh, stats to show how they compare to the iPad Pro, mm-hmm. and we'd really like to mm-hmm. see that. And that's a award-winning Apple app. They won an award at last Worldwide Developer Conference, and um, they're incredibly bullish about um, where Apple's going and uh, with Apple Silicon. And they're they are the developers um, that really believe that where Apple's going with the M with this M1 architecture or this these ARM-based chips. It's going to change the landscape of computing. Yeah. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see how, what, you know, the competition does, you know, because there's good competition out there. And AMD doesn't manufacture their own stuff. They too can go to the same guys who build these chips for Apple. And uh, they have a phenomenal processor out right now on their Threadripper. So right. it's good to have competition. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, the Affinity... Uh, apps were were kind of showcased in that segment as well, which mm-hmm. Affinity Designer, Affinity Photo, Affinity Publisher. I think those are the three that they're using to really compete with Adobe. Um, and I, I've seen this demo before. They actually have presented to our firm, and, and and because like these are viable competitors to the Adobe products, and right. and I th- he just kept zooming in and zooming in and zooming in. You know, they're they're talking about these kind of vector based applications, and he said mm-hmm. we're at a hundred million percent zoomed in. Like that's how much information is embedded into these creations that people are making yeah. potentially. And I think that that's just that's incredible. That because I we've we've come through the days where, oh my gosh, do you remember Photoshop and Scratch Disk Space and trying to decide where to where to have Photoshop store its temporary stuff in memory mm-hmm. so that you could actually work on a big, like that's not a thing anymore. 
And now we're looking at the ability to zoom in a hundred million percent, right? Talking about zooming and enhancing there, it's all right there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, I, that, that blew me away when I saw that in the, in the presentation too. I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's super Um, cool stuff. That vector that you're talking about vector graphics. So that, you know, they didn't show a CAD tool in this thing. I was hopeful that they might. They they um, they showed slightly. They showed a screenshot of Fusion 360. So they did show oh, some Autodesk, right, but yes. it was it was they were talking about it running in emulation, basically in Rosetta 2, but how yeah, how it right. was still pretty seamless. That was the only mention mm-hmm. that I saw. Right. Well, we'll see the next machines, whatever they will be. I don't know if it's going to be the iMac next, or are they going to release a, a Mac Pro that's a larger unit? There was rumors about a 16 inch unit. Is the 16-inch unit going to use the M1 or an M1 variant? Or, you know, what do you think about the chip name, by the way, M1? I kind of saw that coming. You know, they've got the they've got the the A series chips. Uh, they've got the the watch, the W series chips. I kind of thought they were going to do something different for the Mac. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was pretty potentially obvious at that point but i it it was just kind of confirmation when he said and we call it the m1 uh so it shows that like okay this is the very first one and i think about like the a14 bionic Mm -hmm. right and you're like it's an incredible graph over the years of Mm -hmm. increases in speed and 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 so what's the m10 gonna look like right (laughs) <laughs> and uh is right. bmw going to come after them when they have the m3 and the m5 <laughs> <laughs> right you know um yeah we didn't we didn't uh take a guess at the, the chip name when we spoke a few days ago but i i thought maybe they would have it am one or something mm-hmm. like that like but, the apple but uh you know this chip isn't that different from the a14 actually the a14 is 11 and so jump from 11 to 16 uh, billion transistors, right? So that's around thirty-five percent yeah. increase. Um, that's a good. That's I think they struck a good balance between going for performance and the battery life thing. Yeah, right. And because uh, they really, I mean, these battery improvements are are pretty remarkable. So if they push it much, if they made the chip bigger. And they could have made it bigger. I think this chip's much smaller than the chip in the, the Intel chip in the in the MacBook today. Um, and I, I don't know the exact percentage uh, smaller, but I'll figure that out. Um, and so they had room. They could have made this larger. They could have didn't you know? They could have been twelve cores. They could they could have done a lot of things. But it seems like they wanted to strike a balance. And it really, I think, began with what you know. What's the optimal? thing to do for the apple uh, the macbook air uh and being able to run it without a fan i mean that's cool that there's literally no fan in this this is a completely silent machine and i think right. the mac mini is also fanless now right that's a completely fanless no machine. it is not it does have oh, a fan not. and so does the macbook pro 13 inch with the m1 chip. okay they both have fans yeah so conceivably then those two machines are faster mm-hmm. um because you can basically from what i understand there, the MacBook Pro, the, differenti- the differentiator is you've added a fan to the chip rather than do something with the chip. Yeah. The chip is obviously tuned differently with software so that it will utilize the four high-speed cores all yep. the time or right. most of the time right. and just right. turn on the fan when you, when you need it. 
Yeah, I would assume some kind of throttling is potentially happening on the fanless designs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any any other kind of things that stood out to you on the hardware releases um, besides speed? I think it's interesting that all of these machines, I thought this was super funny because this is such an Apple thing, but they're showing these photos of like students and artists with the Apple XDR display. Like they can't afford that. I know that they can't afford that. <laughs> they're starving artists, they're students. These machines all drive the new Pro Display XDR, um, which which nobody buys, right? <laughs> I know, exactly. I, I mean, it's an amazing, I, I don't understand why they don't have a, screen that normal folks can afford right um it's that those those are remarkable displays um and they already do make the screen it's right there in the imac like you talked about come on apple Jeez. yeah yeah well especially when you're going to drive down the price of the mac mini right Mm -hmm. i mean that that price is so low I, i i'm going to get one almost immediately because uh it gives me the ability to start testing various tools on it and it's just so inexpensive. I mean, it's the price of a, you know, a really nice phone upgrade. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think that I was, I was thinking about my daughter using my old 2012 Mac mini and that fan is screaming all the time because she's just using Chrome, right? I and mean, Chrome's a hog, but right. still like she has to use it for school. And so I could imagine a machine like this just being completely silent on the desk and being mm-hmm. a much setting a much nicer environment to sit in all day long while you're mm-hmm. on a computer in school. Mm-hmm. You know, so the other thing that stood out about um, the hardware is that they didn't really like I said. I you know I think the rumor was Bloomberg. I think first said this that the the the, the, the hardware in terms of industrial design wasn't going to change very much. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I was hoping for for a different look, but you, yeah, yeah, you didn't think a they different would. look, and 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 yet they didn't even do anything with colors. Like I thought, maybe well, maybe they can change up the metal colors or something like that. I mean, they're able to do it with a phone. Why not do it with these computers? Right. Yeah, um, I thought for sure they would. You know, because now you're like walking through the airport, and like you can't tell if it's an M1 MacBook Air or if it's a Intel MacBook Air. <laughs> Come on, Apple. <laughs> I know. They, they literally didn't do that. I mean, you think they'd put a big M, M1 logo on it. <laughs> well, the other interesting thing. You're going to have to get an M1 sticker and add it onto your you got to do it Mac yourself. There. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's so funny, too, to see these the these films that they put, put together with people using their computers to build. And they're almost always MacBooks, right? They're almost mm-hmm. always um, a glowing Apple logo MacBook too. I'm surprised right. how many of those they still show, and how Apple just hasn't come back to that. Man, that those alone, I'm sure sold computers for them. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Uh, I miss those. There's one thing that I I wish they did more of. Um, and this gets to, back to what we were talking about, how they don't geek out anymore over things, but they just kind of put up these simple numbers for people to digest. But they compared. You know, the A-core GPU performance to, you know, the latest PC laptops, but yeah. they didn't clarify, and maybe it's in the footnotes somewhere, and I'll have to, we'll have to dig through it, um, are those laptops with integrated graphics? Mm. So if they're two times faster than other laptops with integrated graphics, well, that's not such a massive big deal. But, you know, because if you want to get this MacBook Pro, how does that fare against, you know, a, a rival Windows machine? and um, somewhere in the presentation, they did say about the 
the first laptop they showed, the Air, mm-hmm. that it was faster, I think, than 98% or right. something of all yep. the, machine, the, the laptops with integrated graphics out there. So, you know, these things go quickly and there's lots of details. I, I do want to watch the presentation again to kind of see what I may have missed or misunderstood, but I want to know how these machines compare not just to the present current Intel version, but also really to the wind, the Wintel competition. Yeah, they did hedge it a couple of times by saying, and I, appropriately, like they have to be able to kind of qualify what they're saying, but they they would say like in its price category or right. something like that. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that, again, you can't simply put a number to is things like heat. I can't tell you how many MSI laptops and I mean, mostly MSI laptops, which are high-end graphics workstations that we give to our designers in our firm because they're running things like Enscape, which we talked about in the last episode, and they're running stuff like VR, where it has to drive a couple of streams of HDMI to a Mm -hmm. set of goggles, and it's driving like a 4K display. These things get hot. We're actually melting these computers. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and, And so now when you're talking about twice the performance at, at a third of the wattage, uh, for mm-hmm. for example. Like those things don't come into consideration when you're just talking about raw speed, but those mm-hmm. are part of the total experience. And right. they are part of the more immeasurable side of computing, um, which people enjoy, but they don't, dire- you can't directly apply a metric to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it and so it's a, it's a more of an intangible thing. But I think that you know, when I look around and I see us melting laptops because we're trying to push the limits of what these small enclosures can do, that's where mm-hmm. I get really excited about the direction that they're going with these chips and basically saying, like, we're not going to do it like Intel has done it. We're going to do it completely mm-hmm. differently. And it also gives me hope that even their discrete graphics cards, that maybe Apple is going to develop some of those and have mm-hmm. those be Apple Silicon, but they're going to be able to push further in a Mac Pro enclosure because they've got an extra slot and they can just add to it, right? I'm hoping that we'll see, because I think a lot of that does come down to drivers and software and buses. And Mm. I mean, you are putting, and and also like just, you know, the power unit, right? So you've got 200 watts in a Mac Pro or whatever, like Mm. to drive all that stuff that's sitting in Mm. there, right? So I'm hoping that'll all shrink down and it will get quieter right you've got a screaming mm-hmm. melting laptop on your thing it, it does kind of ruin the presentation for some people <laughs> so yeah, no. those are all things to consider no so what kinds of things do you guys put on your laptops and when these situations when they're running what's what's generally on the screen so it's it's generally like a real-time environment right it's lumion yeah. it's twin motion it's enscape mm-hmm. 3d um mm-hmm. it is constant you know it's got i i think one of the things that that real-time rendering has has created an issue with is that it is so easy to create visualization that people don't really pay attention to texture map size anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Find a texture mm-hmm. map, throw it in there without any consideration over resolution. So a lot of times the texture maps are way too big for what they should be, mm-hmm. where these game engines come from highly optimized, you know, 512-pixel mm-hmm. texture maps. Now people are throwing 4K texture maps on things without really sure. thinking about it. And the machines really struggle with that. 
but they don't want to tell you they're struggling with that, right? They just want to right. say like, yeah, just use it, right? Um, but there's still some best practices I think are people are forgetting about, and right. the presentations do suffer for that because they've kind of taken away that real like mad scientist kind of thing where when we were all getting into 3D graphics, man, you had to know right. everything about everything yeah. to pull it off right. and make it render fast because that's all that mattered, right? You had overnight... Right. To get your so that's why we used electric image because it was seven seconds per frame instead of three mm -hmm. minutes per frame in 3D Studio. Mm -hmm. So, whatever, right? Like that's just a, a silly example. But yeah. but nowadays, because it's real time, I think a lot of those affordances are just forgotten about. And and but but the mm -hmm. machine is still really struggling to make it happen. So, uh, those are the kinds of things that we're seeing in these presentations. Is you know we've got a HTC Vive. Vibe hooked up to Vive hooked up to an MSI laptop and a client is walking through their new building um, and everybody else is kind of watching the screen, right? Because only one person can be in mm -hmm. VR at a time. And that machine is driving simultaneous streams of HD video. Mm -hmm. And, and that is, that is a lot of, of pixels that it's trying to push all at the same time. And those laptops are still only half an inch thick, right? So uh, it it is tough, I think, to to make it happen. That's what I'm I'm pretty excited about these new developments because of of what it seems like they can do with so much less wattage and and cooling needs. Yeah, no, these machines will be great for uh, architecture students too, and just students in general because you know they're always uh, on the go, and it's just it's inconvenient to plug in, especially yeah. if you're in a restaurant or coffee shop and um, limited availability. Yeah, for sure. You know the 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 um 2x performance uh of the latest pc laptop chip versus the m1 at a quarter of the power is pretty is really remarkable and 10 watts you know i think so 10 watts is larger than i think the i think the new uh, iphones the uh the ttb is six watts i think i think if i call that correctly it's definitely a 10 or under but it's so the we're talking about basically sort of peak performance of your phone mm -hmm. in terms of its heat and energy consumption. Mm -hmm. But um, we're getting two, two X, the lap, the fastest laptop chip performance. And it's just, that's just mind boggling. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know how Intel's going to catch Apple at this point. I mean, they are yeah. not one, but two processes behind and they struggled for years to get to just 10 nanometers. And now I can't imagine the struggle they will, they will take to get to the next process step, yeah. much less five nanometers. So, right. They've delayed how many years now just to get to seven, they keep saying it's coming and then they delay it and then it's coming and then they delay it. So right. obviously it's, it's difficult, right? Like I don't want to downplay how difficult that is, but somehow yeah. arm has figured it out, cracked it. Right. And you mentioned, uh, you mentioned, the whole thing about China and the proximity of Taiwan to that country. And so I followed up on that a little bit. Um, so, you know, our government did pass a bipartisan bill in the summer mm -hmm. to basically subsidize and fund uh, semiconductor, um, you know, manufacturing. And so it's going to happen. And uh, Taiwan semiconductor is actually building a plant in Arizona. Oh, wow. So that's going to happen. Interesting. Um, and that is the company that produces these. The Hong Kong thing really scared mm. a lot of military folks and thinking this is not good. Uh, the most 
capable people in the world, not capable people, but the, the most capable fabs in the world are actually, you know, all the way across the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. That's scary. I could imagine. Yeah. I mean, everything depends on this stuff now. So right. you can't have all your eggs in that one basket over. Yeah. Out of your control. <laughs> no, wow. that's right. Wow. Um, I see uh, a lot of people switching uh, in the next year. Do what, what, what is your feeling about that? If the apps come over, do you, can you see a lot of people who have never considered switching? And I was talking to an architect this morning in my office who was going, he was saying, I just don't like the Mac OS interface. It's just so different than I've always known Windows. And I was telling him, well, yes, but what if your machine, your Mac machine was way more than twice as fast? I mean, don't you want to get your work done faster? (laughs) And the (laughs) answer was. (laughs) uh, And he said, yes, of course, but it's it's just different. And there is some truth in the saying, the, the best CAD system is the one you know. Yeah. It has to do with if you don't know something, you're going to struggle. So for sure. Um, but we all know that you learn things pretty quickly. Everyone does. Um, most everyone. Yeah. And I think these these operating systems and stuff are actually making it, especially with now that you're going to see iOS apps and stuff on Mac. It is there's going to be a lot of things that are actually just easier to use because there's so much right. of an emphasis on UI and UX. Mm-hmm. It's not as old school um, as some of these apps that we're used to using in architecture with a million buttons on the screen and custom command lines and scripts. And you have to be a super nerdy person to, to dig into those. I think that's really bringing it back to that Autodesk open letter, right? People are complaining about how hard those apps are to use. So all it's going to take is a killer app to come along Mm -hmm. where the machine makes it fast to run and it's easier to use. And people are going to be like, take my money. Right. 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 I can see that. Yeah. And speaking of Autodesk, so I, I think it won't be long, probably second quarter of next year, we'll see probably a complete rewrite. Uh, not a complete rewrite, but we'll see the Mac version of AutoCAD come mm-hmm. over to uh, Apple Silicon, maybe in the first quarter. I mean, it's very possible. I mean, Photoshop and those kinds of tools are due in the first quarter, according yeah. to the presentation. So, uh, that's not that long away. Yeah, it's really right. quite reasonable. Um, and it's certainly faster than we're probably going to see maybe the next desktop um, equivalents happen. I, I could see that the desktop equivalents coming around the time of the next worldwide developer conference, perhaps maybe, maybe the iMac will come faster. And of course those machines are plugged in all the time. Yeah. So uh, it will be very interesting. They're not going to have the M1 inside. They're going to have a different chip. Yep, I, I agree. I'm I'm also really excited about the potential for what the next iPad Pro is going to bring, right? Because now we're seeing these huge performance gains in the M1. Obviously, now there's going to be more of a simultaneous release cycle, I think, of mm-hmm. iOS devices and, heart and software and macOS devices and software. Um, mm-hmm. The software has to be in lockstep if... If the mm-hmm. Mac OS is supporting iOS, like those now have to come together all the mm-hmm. time. And if there's a software update for one, there's going to have to be a software update for the other in very short order, if not at exactly the same time. So right. I could see that also kind of unlocking opportunity for the new iPad line. So so we, we're seeing how the iOS devices are influencing the Mac devices 
And I can mm-hmm. now see that going back the other way once again as well. Mm-hmm. Does seem like the the strongest Mac lineup ever is going to trickle back into the iOS lineup as well. I mean, the iOS has been the the poster child for so long now. The devices, the iPhone, especially, right? right? Uh, it's great to see that. What did he say? Fifty percent of new uh, users are first time Mac users because of the. Yeah. They've talked about the the strength of last quarter, and they ex- right. expect that next quarter too. These devices are only going to help that. So I could see a lot of people using this opportunity of a new chipset to switch. Yeah, I, I actually think this new chipset, this the M1, is going to drive even further adoption of people who have never done used a Mac before. And I would be surprised if, you know, in a future quarter coming up, we hear that 65% or 70% of MacBook sales or Mac sales are to new uh, first-time users. I could see that happening. I could see where the majority, I, I mean, it's crazy to think this, but that, that the majority of sales are going to first-time yeah. users. And that that will, so I, I see Apple growing their market share big time uh, with this. And uh, especially in education where, well, the mobiles are so important, but yeah. in creative for sure. And, you know, if they can somehow, um make an iMac uh, with, with a kind of entry point that's quite low, you know, you can, you can see them penetrating enterprise. They're easier and less expensive to manage. And right. IBM has been saying that for years. Right. So yeah, I could definitely see them but because the performance is clearly going to be there. Mm-hmm. So they didn't talk about uh, performance over dollars they they only mentioned performance over watts mm-hmm. and uh, they say three times higher performance per watt um that's a big multiple yeah um, but i'd love to some when someone's in a somewhere will put together the, the the comparison of performance over dollars and, and that's where i want to really that's that's the stat that's going to tell us a lot about where this is really headed and how many more machines they could maybe sell but I, you know apple said this many times they're not really, they don't really care about their market share on the Mac or any other market. As they've said in Congress under, you know, various um, confrontations with, you know, recent um, political leaders uh, who have gone after high tech, they've said, uh, we're not the dominant player in any of our markets. Right. We don't even have the dominant market share. How can we be this company that's abusing the market? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it will slowly grow. Don't you think that the Mac, yeah. Share will probably at, at a higher clip than before, but still at somewhat a slower growth. Of course, yeah. I mean, and, and I think uh, if you if you read into it, which I am trying to do here, if if you watch all the way to the end of the presentation, there's a cameo by uh, John Hodgman <laughs> as PC at the end, right? And right. and if you remember where that came from, was yeah. the Switcher campaign, right? And uh, so I kind of wonder if they're just throwing this out there, like now, now it's a new era of switchers are coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be fun to revive those those TV ads because they were hilarious. Yeah, but what was so funny about those ads back then was they were really selling being hip mm. on some level, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, being a Mac person was more exclusive. all about being more yep. more cool and yep. hip, and um, there was still these great benefits to the pc and, and you could direct comparison you could say well it's you know it's, if you want better uh, performance per dollar those are those kinds of things were very real yeah and practical and so 
But this, these M1 chips and M generation chips are going to change that dynamic now. So it'd be fun to revisit that because poor PC, he would just be demolished now. <laughs> he, was, he has nothing, nothing to hang his hat on anymore. Yeah. And, and, and I, I would also be remiss if we don't mention kind of their commitment to sustainability. And, and, and I think, I think that that definitely hits a certain market segment mm-hmm. that the PC just has no interest or they're not showing any interest in going after for the most part. So you're definitely going to get, you know, there, there's definitely a different level of citizenship of, of people mm-hmm. out there in certain segments like education, people coming mm-hmm. out of school that we've never mm-hmm. seen before. And they want to align themselves with a company that cares about mm-hmm. that and does care about changing the world and saving the world. Um, and yeah, like they're doing it through capitalism and consumerism, but um, mm-hmm. it's also a tool that we depend on so much. Mm-hmm. And it does feel better, I think, for a lot of people to use a machine that is made out of 100% recycled aluminum or right. yeah, doing things that are actually trying to save the environment on, on a level at least. Yeah, well, all of us can't be Greta and have the time to sail across the ocean when we go go on vacation. So, you know, unfortunately, we need to fly. And I don't think too many people take it too seriously that the different airlines and so forth are buying buying more planes that are lighter to fly. But it does have an effect on the ticket price on some some degree. And uh, but in this case, you know. These machines could seriously, you know, you mentioned the other day how many machines you in the ha- have in the house because of yeah. uh, distance uh, learning and and working from home. We have a lot of electronics plugged in, so yes. um, th- these things are going to save our, you know, our electricity bill be a little lower. Um, you know, I think like a lot of people, there's a practicality just putting money in your pocket by buying the right kind of light bulbs and. Mm-hmm. putting things on timers on these apps and so it's not just the you know the educated whole food shoppers crowd kind of you yeah, know right. uh, trying to do everything that's politically correct but i think there's a real practicality here that could be really measured especially when we think about these machines in the enterprise settings right yeah um, absolutely and you have thousands and thousands of them these these machines are going to save people some money yeah yeah serious money yep i agree I think what, what, you know, to kind of wrap it up towards the end here, I, I feel like one of the ending quotes, you know, again, they did another kind of film at the end to celebrate and, and something that Tim Cook said at the very end, which again, just kind of got my blood flowing again, was that because I see so much possibility in what we do as architects and how we actually can change the world, right? Uh, he said, Advan- advancements of this magnitude only come from making bold changes. And I wish that our architecture firms would think like that because one thing that we see Apple do time and time again, and not all the time, but time and time again is they really try to disrupt themselves. They will take their most popular product Mm -hmm. and they will fully disrupt it with something different because they're so willing to kind of in a very calculated way, change course for the better to set their company off to be more successful in the future. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I, like, I think those are great words of encouragement to, especially, you know, as, as he kind of started off talking about how uncertain things are and, and how they've still been able to push through that and release this, in, these incredible products 
Um, it's because they are willing to make those bold changes within their mm-hmm. organization and within the way that they do things. And so I, I'm hoping that that catches on as well. Yeah, that would be great. Um, unfortunately, the AC industry is so uh, conservative and and risk adverse, but architecture in particular, um, I don't know. You know, I, 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 you know, Apple and and companies like Amazon and they they are they're benefiting tremendously right now through because of convergence. Mm. And uh, you you mentioned Uber, for example, in your in your talk, which I I mentioned last time when we spoke mm-hmm. about uh, disruption. And you know, so they're making TV content now. They're doing a whole bunch of things, and so are their main competitors. But the convergence of so many things is the distinguishing factor in this era that we're in. This kind of uh, you know industry 4.0, as they call it in Germany, or um, fourth industrial revolution. There's just so much progress happening in so many areas, and when you and we're seeing a lot of this stuff converge, mm-hmm. and the green movement in, in environmental sustainability is one of the big areas of opportunity. And Apple is clearly showing incredible leadership in this area. Mm-hmm. It's not hitting home with many people still, but you know, in this country, we've just gone through a, a four years where people feel that, um, you know, it was good to back out of the Paris climate treaty that, you know, climate science is, super debatable when we all know that it's really not. Mm. So I think they're, they're positioning themselves in these areas in a, in a really good way, because um, I think they're just larger and larger waves of people will come over to that. And, and I think already be there. Yeah. They'll, they're already, they're already prepared. And I think that's yeah. another just checkbox that says, Oh, this is why I'm going to choose this company and their products. Yeah. Yeah. The best companies in the world are ones that um, show you who you want to be. Right. And, uh, I, and Apple does that among other companies. And I think, you know, the, the way that they're leading by actually jumping into some of these things before other people are willing to, just shows that, but that exactly what you said, they're going to be where somebody else wants to be in the future. And so it's going to be mm-hmm. a natural fit at that point. Right. Right. I don't know how architects can get there. Certainly there's firms out there who, who are kind of trying to, um, you know, Steve Jobs used to say, uh, you got to skate to where the puck is going to be. Mm-hmm. Kind of that mm-hmm. Retsky. Gretzky quote, yeah. Yeah, Gretzky quote. And um, Apple's very talented at doing that. But they also said, I think somewhere in their early intro in the film about uh, you, you got to, you can't wait for greatness. You got to make it. Yeah. So um, they certainly attract a certain segment of the population who thinks like that mm-hmm. or aspires to think like that. And there's just going to be people who don't, but at the end of the day, they're going in directions with this, their semiconductors now where they may just win on economics in the end, mm. which is really stunning to think about because that was the thing that I thought would never happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but due to convergence, you know, and this, this is, <laughs> this is where you could, where literally they can win now because of convergence and uh, they're able to just take in these costs and reduce, uh, keep reducing the overall cost. So the, 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 at the end of the day, you know, progress is measured uh, in our digital era uh, around the primary uh, key input to this era, which I think I mentioned Car- Carlotta Perez last time, right. uh, which is had to do with uh, 
performance calculations per $1,000 for processing units, right, for a chip. So, you know, it'd be fun from, to put together the map. This is like a little ex-homework assignment for me just to start putting together the math on some of uh, these new M1s and, and where they are out on the, the chart now because these are really some of the, this has to be the leading processor in terms of performance per dollar now, perhaps. I, maybe there's something out there that I don't know about, but this seems to be it. Um, yeah. These chips, by the way, I think someone said there, I read an article recently, this, these processors are costing Apple like one-sixth of what they pay Intel. Wow. Yeah, right? that's incredible. It, it it is because they they've invested so much to make this happen, and I think again if they they even bring it back at the end of the presentation to say you know we can't wait to see what you do with these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that really is kind of their ethos, which is like they honor people who make things using mm-hmm. and and they happen to use their devices, right? It's kind of like Nike honors great athletics, right? Simon Sinek talks right. about that in Start With Why. Like they they have a purpose and their purpose is to honor great athletics. How do they do that? By making great equipment for them, right? It's mm-hmm. Apple does that with people who make cool things. They, they mm-hmm. make films, they make music, they make architecture, whatever that mm-hmm. thing is. And, I, and I, I think that, you know, a lot of our profession could learn from that as well. Like we ultimately typically serve our clients' clients in the public realm, in in the residential realm, it's much more like direct client work. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but we we build these things so that people can progress, so that we can make our societies better, we can make our communities better, um, mm-hmm. and and serve them in that way. I think if if we're reminded of that, if we constantly remind ourselves of that, we we can also position ourselves to be in a great place when when people want to align with those kind of ideals and those values. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's good stuff, and 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 it's interesting to see Apple in the strategy and how they get there. And you're talking about the whatever it is, twelve year run into ARM, right? To mm-hmm. get to this point, it's a that's a huge investment, but it's paying off now, right? And that is definitely playing the long game. Yeah, I I agree definitely. Well, I think we'll we'll cut it off there. It was a fantastic conversation. It was super fun, and I hope we can do it again. Yeah. Yeah, likewise. It's always fun to talk about this stuff. Yep. And I can't wait to actually get one of these machines to start pushing some professional AEC tools through it and see what how how it comes out. So uh, before we before we cut it off, please talk about uh, where people can find you online. Sign up for your newsletter, all of those great things, so they can see once you start crunching these numbers, where can they get at that information? Yeah, they can get at that information at arkajosh.com. Uh, and I definitely invite your readers to consider uh, signing up for our free newsletter, Expresso. Uh, it's a monthly, and it's it's um, a packed, uh, you know, uh, once a month read with uh, a lot of content that's very bleeding edge stuff that's just coming out. And uh, we we focus on everything that's emerging technology in the AC and MCAT world, but primarily AC. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anthony, for hanging out, and uh, let's do it again. Thank you for having me. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts 
help get the word out, and of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E. Troxel. Talk to you soon.